Good evening, everyone, and welcome to High Spirits. I'm Jay Stegman, and with me, as always, is my best pal, Noelle Schmidt. That's right. We host a show called High Spirits in which we drink alcohol and we talk about ghosts. Yep. As a part of the top of the show, we always say what we are drinking because we make millions of dollars on this show because of our dear, dear sponsors. Noelle, what are you drinking? So much money that I'm doing this from my basement. Ooh, um, rich. You have a basement. Rich. Uh, I am drinking Jigsaw Pinot Noir. Jigsaw. Piece those grapes together. Uh, <laughs> um, awesome. I don't know where I got this from, but I really, oh, I think I got this from Benny's. Thank you, Benny's. Uh, curbside pickup available at Benny's. I like this label a lot. It's really pretty. Like I'd hang this on my wall. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm drinking Coors Light brought to you by the makers of Coors Light from the mountains of Coors, Colorado it is delicious I'm so glad Jay, I saw a video of um, a lady who made a sign that said please send beer or uh, like something like I'm almost out of beer, please send more and Coors donated um, like cases and cases to her what, uh, was that you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't me, although I am now inspired, and I plan on making that sign. It, yeah, it was pretty great. Now, I, I was think there something she was, special about her? I think she was a uh, senior citizen who is a high-risk person who shouldn't be venturing out by herself. You, of course, are a very youthful young lady. Yeah. Um, Damn it. Yeah. But very cool. There's a fun story about it. Yeah. I bet yeah. Coors would be like, hey, listen, asshole, just go ahead and order it. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many delivery services now. Someone will get that for you. Someone will get that to you. <clears throat> but free cases is a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would have been funny if um, they backed up a truck to her house and then presented her with a bill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'll be $435.26. The worst kind of philanthropy that gets you get you in the back end bill. That's just for freight. Yeah. Um. <laughs> now the product's free, but it costs a shit ton to ship here. Now pony up. Um. Yeah. It's just anyway. So how are things? Things are okay. Um. We are recording uh, in quarantine. Noel and I believe in the mission, and uh, we. Uh, are coming to you tonight from Skype. So I'm in my bunker and she's in her bunker and I am hanging in. Uh, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling okay. This is day uh, 51, I think, if my math is correct, from the etches in the wall. Um, <laughs> so I've only broken a couple of fingers doing it. Um, it's 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 so nice here today. It's been so nice. You can pull that mic a little bit away from your face, dude. Oh, just sorry. a little bit. No, I'm, I'm yelling at you. Um, it's so nice this weekend, and it was nice to get outside and not stand too close to people. Yeah. Um, but I worry that you know there are still people that are standing too close to each other. Just you know, one step back. It's a whole lot of them. Um, a whole lot. <clears throat> this will be. This will be, we'll look back on this as a historical moment and wonder, my God, why? <laughs> why why did we keep getting in our own way? 
Yeah. Um, not by you and me. I mean, humans, we really, we need to get it together. And, um, that's all. Yeah. And I think it's, it sucks. It's, it's easy. It's, that's the simple thing is that this sucks and it's really hard, but, um, we need to stick together and mm-hmm. support each other. And that's how we get through this. And that's how this passes and being stubborn. You know, I don't want to, I'm going to get off my pedestal right now, but yeah, I think just staying together and being good humans and just waving to each other. It's great. When you Mm -hmm. pass each other, just give a nod. I've been doing a lot of the, a lot of the head nodding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Hello everybody. Um, I saw saw, real quick. I saw a lady in the park uh, last week who is my hero. Um, An older gal. She was out for a jog and uh, she had a mask on and while jogging and she was kind of slow jogging she was also talking into her speakerphone through the mask yeah I was like, this lady's got it all right <laughs> <laughs> she's got it figured right multitasking multitasking anyway. indeed mm-hmm. well I, I'm, I'm just gonna jump right in and bring you my ghost why not i think you should okay well it's not really a like a ghost per se, although there is a ghost. Um, I know, right? Um, I'm going to be talking today about uh, uh, Albert Legrand. Um, he is French, so uh, they would say Albert Legrand. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to call him Albert. Uh, Albert Legrand, of course, means um, Albert the Great. <laughs> um, so, uh, the Albert Legrand that I'm going to speak about is uh, was born in 1599, uh, and he died in 1641. He is French. Um, he was a theologian, alchemist, sometime necromancer. Uh, he worked across a wide range of academic disciplines. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to slate something here. We might keep coming back to it because it, it gets a little confusing, um, and I'll explain why in a second. So the Albert Legrand I'm going to be talking about today, he was born Jean Legrand, and he chose uh, he chose his name, um, which was Albertus Magnus. Um, so don't get confused. The French guy gave himself the name uh, after a very famous other Albertus Magnus who was German, and he allegedly wrote the Grand Albert which we'll get to. But basically this is a story of magic and uh, grimmeries and uh, alchemy. Um, Very, uh, uh, the people I'm talking about very much influenced Aleister Crawley and uh, Marie Laveau. Okay. Mm -hmm. I could definitely see where those two would get confused and how how that's a common mistake. Right. (laughs) Well, um, here's the deal. So, we're talking about a guy who lived in the um, 1600s who was modeling himself off a guy who lived in the 1200s. Okay. Custom of the time was to name yourself after the famous person. So think of the popes, right? They have their own name, uh, but when they become pope, they change their name. So they're now Benedict the so-and-so um, because they change their name to a predecessor they admire. C- customary uh, in his profession or... What do you mean by that? Or just anyone during that time period would? Well, yeah, I would say um, among the intellectual classes. 
Okay. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk like that Plato wasn't a real person or Socrates wasn't a real person or Pliny the elder wasn't a real person, but they were like a, uh, aggregation of many, many writers who ascribe themselves that name. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of reason why one would do that. Um, uh, some of it has to do with the Catholic church. We'll talk about them a little bit later. Um, but when you are engaged in, let's say scientific or intellectual pursuits in the 1600s, um, they're not oftentimes a fan of that. So having a pseudonym that of, of somebody four, 400 years prior to you kind of helps you with your anonymity. So those who know, know, and those who don't are like, who's that guy? Got it. Yeah. It's like marshmallow or dead mouse or <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just naming um, people in EDM who wear head covers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Deft or gorillas. Yes. Um, so, so we could talk about our French guy. We have to talk about the German one. He's the guy who inspired our guy. So Albertus Magnus was known as Albert the Great. He was one of the most universal uh, thinkers to appear during the Middle Ages. So we're we're right about uh, 1,200 here with this dude. Um, He actually had a very famous student that you probably know, um, know all that St. Thomas of Aquinas. I know that guy. Yeah. Um, Albert's interests ranged from natural science uh, to theology. um, And he himself was a, uh, I believe, a clergyman. Um, He made contributions to logic, psychology, metaphysics, meteorology, mineralogy, mineralogy, I don't know, uh, and zoology. <clears throat> he was an avid commenter on nearly all of the great things that happened in the 13th century. If you've heard about it, you probably heard about it in, in some way through Albertus Magnus. Yeah, I mean, was he, was he heavily involved in the Catholic Church? Was he... Because well, I feel yes, like- he so, but that's it's kind of like a misnomer in a little bit. Like so, he he was a clergyman and his student was Saint Thomas Aquinas. But um, in order to pursue probably like what we would call college or like a, a master's, <laughs> you had to. There weren't many places to do it, and everything sort of had like a religious bend to it because that's that was just kind of your only option. Right. It's almost like one of those fallacies when like the great artists all painted religious art. And I'm like, hashtag because they had to, <laughs> like, um, you know, in order to get someone to be your patron or in order to pursue what you wanted to pursue. Um, it was, uh, you know, you were to be financed by probably the church. Got it. Uh, so when people talk about like, but don't you love the religious music? Of course, it's beautiful. The geniuses were just writing religious music, though, as an excuse for them to write mm-hmm. wonderful music. It isn't to say they didn't believe it, but it is to say that, yes, he was a he was a clergyman. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily know. Uh, I don't I don't know. that. Well, we'll get to it. But I, I don't know that it was necessarily like a Catholic bend he had, which is why he's famous in the world of magic. <laughs> right. Right. So let's talk about our French guy, Saint okay. Albertus Magnus. Um, 
Now, his writings were really popular in his time. Um, so that would be the 1600s in France. Um, it, it's crazy to think <laughs> that like, we didn't have like random house publishing, that kind of thing. Um, but it's crazy to think that like so many people were reading his books. Kind of like the Dan Brown of uh, the 1600s. Man, we can't stop talking about Dan Brown. I know. That guy, though. <laughs> um, There's something brilliant about him. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it's so weird when when people who write certain things are so popular. And you're like, I was looking at what uh, our French guy, Albertus Magnus, wrote um, when he wasn't writing books in this other guy's name, right? Mm-hmm. He mostly wrote about saints. <laughs> I I think saints are a really fascinating thing, though, because they are, um, in order to be a saint in the Catholic Church, you have to have some form of magical experience, basically. Yeah, you have to have a miracle. You have to have a miracle. And so that makes a lot of sense that if you're fascinated with magic, the saints, like, how did, they, you know, were, were they some kind of wizard or, um, uh, like, um, I can't think of the word that I want to say right now, but, like, what were these miracles? How did they produce them? So I, I think it makes actually a lot of sense that he would be fascinated yeah. by saints. Yeah, he wrote about 78 saints. <laughs> Which in the, I'm sorry, this is the 16th century, right? No, it's the 1600s. So. Oh, so 17th. So. Pull your uh, microphone again away. Sorry. I would just hate for you to read or to hear the playback and be like, man. We blew it. Um, Yeah, sorry. We're we're playing with audio stuff, everybody. So I might cut this all out too. Um, I keep going. I lost my train of thought on that. (laughs) Uh, I was saying that he wrote about 78 saints. Uh, and again, his books were wildly popular. Apparently there was a big appetite for saint writing. Um, he allegedly wrote the sorcerer's man manual, uh, the Petit Albert, which is Petit Albert, which is just a small, the small Albert. Um, but in order to talk about the Petit Albert, we have to talk about the grand Albert. Um, so... This is like a very, um, I'll just read what I wrote because I was trying to explain a little bit. But um, so the Grand Albert was originally, allegedly, started by the guy we talked about first, the German one. Um, And it was alleged that he began it around uh, 1245. And then um, it ended up receiving its... um, kind of like definitive Latin form. So they were like taking things out, putting things in uh, around 1493. So already we have a 250 year uh, move. And then there was the French translation in 1500. This uh, predates our French guy by 99 years, uh, but he it would have been popular around when he was sort of like doing his thinking. Um, and the book became um, really well known and uh, sort of traveled through Europe. Uh, it, there was a well known French edition published in 1703. So here's what I mean to say about the Grand Albert. People think a lot of people worked on it, um, and it sort of evolved for about 450 years. 
Okay. So, um, the, the fact that the big and little Albert are named after, uh, Albertus Magnus, that shouldn't be taken literally, um, by placing themselves, um, under the the name Albert the Great, uh, the authors of these works sought recognition and legitimacy. Um, <clears throat> the the practice of col- uh, collective attribution to one great person in history was common. Um, just so you're thinking, so you're not like thinking in the way we would do now. We the, we would consider this like falsification or plagiarism. They they didn't think of it that way. Uh, far from it. It it. People didn't think that that people were doing it because of like deceit. It was a way to pay homage. Um, and I already mentioned this. It gave cover to people uh, who were writing controversial topics. Kind of like the Federalist Papers. If you guys remember the Federalist Papers, um, Alexander Hamilton made them famous. But when they were first put out, they were they were uh, they 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 were written by three dudes and they did not use their names. Right. Later, they were attributed to them. So uh, that's kind of what was happening with the Grand Albert for uh, its uh, 450 years. So if I may interject for a second, um, how's this volume, first of all? Sounds good. Okay. Um, It it is your belief that that Albert was multiple people? I I think so. I mean... I don't know. I, my, my beliefs are so shaken and rocky. Um, <laughs> it's my understanding from learning what I learned that it probably began with him, um, mm-hmm. that he was alive in 1245 to do it, but, uh, you know, could have been anyone. It kind of reminds me a lot of like the, the, uh, gospels of the Bible, like first one probably written, um, at least, like was it 30 to 70 years after any of the events occurred and then the the next ones came well well after that so uh it isn't to say that it didn't have like what a close i know i know i'm so sorry if that is news (laughs) pause this take a break come back later you know what it also reminds me of? It reminds me of this movie I watched on on Hulu recently called Trick. Um, a spoiler alert, by the way. If you're going to watch it, please advance this 30 seconds. Okay. Um, I know you're not going to watch it, Jay. No. So <laughs> I don't mind. Um, first of all, starring uh, one Omar Epps and oh. one Jamie Kennedy, you may remember from Scream 1 and Scream 2. Oh, yeah, I remember Jamie Kennedy. And Scream 3. Uh, remember him? Yeah, um, he was funny. He, he wasn't looked, he like super funny, and then he had like a big drug problem. I think so. Yeah, he, got, he was really into like hip hop. Um, he even had like a MTV show at some fucking point. Yeah, I think he just kind of burned out pretty quickly. But he was in this movie, and he was uh, he was great. Um, also, if it's been thirty seconds, please fast forward another thirty <laughs> seconds. Yeah, he only even talked about it yet. No. <laughs> But uh, the dialogue and the um, the acting, not great, but um, it's a fun horror movie. It's kind of along the same lines of a Scream type movie um, with like ninja, like a ninja type bad, eye, bad guy killer person. Um, but it turns out that they're multiple, like it's a, a faction basically that's trying oh. to like prove a point that like they're they're anarchists essentially but that's the big twist that's the trick yeah that's the trick 
<laughs> but really the trick is because this kid's name is Patrick and they call him Trick for short. So oh, I see. You're had it all of it. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It was yeah. it was exactly what I needed. Yeah. Well this this whole thing about France in the sixteen hundreds and Germany in the twelve hundreds is exactly like the trick. History and it, itself. Yeah. <laughs> I think Jamie Jamie Kennedy was also in this. <laughs> Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, um, Grand Albert separated into four books. Um, the first book is, uh, called the secrets of women. It focuses on the generation of embryo uh, on celestial influences and signs of pregnancy. I did not put any excerpts from it in here because everything I read just like in 2020, you listen to or you read it, and you're like, wow, geez. Um, <laughs> everybody, all the women listening, please open up your pack of Virginia Slims, take an inhale, and think to yourselves, we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Good. <laughs> um, book two, once once you started getting a little bit out of the lady stuff, it gets a little bit more interesting. Um Book two is about the virtues of planets, stones, and certain animals. That's right. Um, Here's an excerpt from from that part. Um, All that is called a wonderful and supernatural thing, and which is vulgarly called magic, comes from the affections of the will or some celestial influence at certain particular hours. Every being communicates to all things to which it's joined, with its virtues and its natural properties. Okay. All right. Yeah. Magic. Yeah. I I mean, this is definitely like um, reminiscent of Aleister Crowley. Yes. Yeah. Like I get that. Yeah. Um, Also, I just realized I vulgarly called that whole excerpt magic at the end, which is what the complaint was (laughs) (laughs) that we're, we're all filled with uh, exceptional, skills we just according to like you know sort of the alchemist journey we can do exceptional things we just either can't remember how or uh we're not trying hard enough so that that's always that's been a constant note for me my whole life I don't <laughs> apply myself me too <laughs> uh yeah i mean listen when I try to levitate things, I just hear in the back of my mind, try fucking harder, dude. You're just not applying yourself. <laughs> just not trying to, you know, who, who applies himself is that David Copperfield. Or that David Blaine. Or, yeah. Or uh, Chris Angel. Chris Angel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. they, really, they apply themselves. They make whole cars, boats, and Statues of Liberty disappear. <laughs> We do love the Magic Lounge in Chicago. I hope they're doing. I hope they're okay. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the, if and uh, when this all passes, uh, please support them and check it out. It's an awesome spot. I love magic. I absolutely. I do too. I'm like every time. Like I don't want to know how it's done. I'm just in awe every time. Oh, like, I do. I, I do. I want to tackle the magician and like just just be like, how? Tell how? I love it. Oh, it's so amazing to look at. I love, I love a magic. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, book. <laughs> love <a> magic. <laughs> book three is called uh, The Wonderful and Natural Secrets. 
So <laughs> everything sounds like it is like the, like telling your children about sex for the first time. Yeah, really pamphlet about like virtues of planet stones and certain animals. Right. Please the include that. Sex world of the birds and the bees. um this is kind of like a a natural science section so here's an excerpt to make knives clasps etc harder cool your knives in the marrow of a horse (laughs) well i mean you know don't don't kill a horse just you know if you have if you have horse marrow nearby do you have to like stab it through the the bone for marrow yeah Yeah. marrow lives in the bone i guess so do you have to stab the bone or is it already broken open i have a lot of questions about what this is this is i don't i don't think there's any lesson on dismembering a horse it really here's where magic spells kind of kind of get a little troubling it doesn't say like go find a horse make sure it's a bad horse make sure like look in its eyes and see if it's morally corrupt and then you know in the most humane way, strangle it and then dismember it. It just basically says like, hey, if you want to make a knife, you got to cool your knives in the marrow of a horse. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, something we, I think it was around, it was about vampires um, where in like Romania, in order to like cast out vampires, it had to be like a white virgin male horse. <laughs> How are you going to know? It's like, this is why I sort of believe that this stuff is real because it's impossible to get this stuff. Right. So if you can locate this stuff, maybe it would work. And also you got to ask the horse so many questions, like what counts? Like maybe they're a technical virgin, but not like a virgin virgin. Maybe like Jimmy Carter, they have lusted in their minds. <laughs> I think it's just, it depends on how intense. Yeah. I think you're totally right. I mean, was it for breeding purposes? Was it for love? Like, <laughs> what kind of level are we taking this to? Right. Like, was she laying on the ground or were you doing it like regular style? This, you know. Is it called horse style or doggy style in that situation? Right. Yeah. Their, their own list of perversions that we would have no idea about. Right. Anyone yeah. who breeds horses, if you want to tell us how horse sex works, that would be cool. Yeah. Send that to Noel. <laughs> I don't, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Listen, um, book four was uh, called Physiognomy and Procreation. Okay. I looked up physiognomy because it's not something that rolls off the tongue. Uh, if you know what it is, uh, break down the word, but I'm just going to do it for you. Um, <clears throat> physiognomy is the supposed art of judging character from facial features. Um, it is the general form or appearance of something. Um, So you could, if you wanted to use it on a person, um, talk about their physiognomy. You can also talk about it. uh, When I looked it up, you could talk about like the physiognomy of a landscape. Uh, As a pseudoscience, uh, we definitely do not practice it anymore um, because it lends itself to um, supremacy and, uh, ethnic yuckiness so uh yeah that's not something that we have a tendency to do in our time frame yeah at first I kind of equated it to like a body language expert but I feel like that's different like like I'll admit that people sometimes will be like why do you look so angry and I'm like oh do I I have no idea it's just my 
German demeanor, I guess. Like I'm just. Do you look angry all the time? I didn't think I. I mean, I apparently like people will be like. I don't get that from you at all. You were like. Oh, thank you. I feel like I'm rather pleasant. Um, but I mean, I I I think I think my problem is that I have a hard time. Uh, I have a very animated face, and so I think I when I'm in a conversation, I just like have a hard time hiding my reactions. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I'll furrow my brows and brow, and it's not. I was gonna say you have angry. severe brows, so. Yeah, I do. Right, I'm not angry. I'm just thinking through things. Yeah, well, I have I have the opposite scenario, and you know this about me. I have a deviated septum, so I'm a mouth breather, and it always gives off the appearance that I'm smiling. <laughs> so truly, literally, no matter where we are, or what we're doing, somebody is bound to come up to me and ask me a question. Um, they believe I work there. <laughs> like it doesn't matter wherever I am. They're like, Hey, um, I was wondering if you could tell me where and I'm like, I don't fucking work here, dude. But <clears throat> I have the friendly face of somebody who works there. You also have to stop wearing all those red shirts to target. <laughs> dude, <laughs> if you can find a red, anything in my wardrobe, I dare you. <laughs> Find something that's not on the like black and gray scale, and I, know, right? I will give you a thousand dollars. Actually, I should give you a thousand dollars just to go out and get me something red. I'll take a thousand dollars to just. Go yeah, out. I don't have it. I'm sorry. Okay. Checks in the mail. Well, um, since we talked about the big Albert, let's talk about the petite Albert because this is actually the guy that I was talking about, the one from the 1600s. Our French guy uh, allegedly wrote this. Um, in English, it's referred to as the Lesser Albert or the Little Albert. Okay. Um, it's a uh, 18th century grimery of natural and Kabbalistic magic. It represents a phenomenal publishing success. Um, <laughs> and though since it came out, it has been associated with devil worshippers. So this also is kind of like in the Anton LaVey mm-hmm. uh, Satanic Bible uh, male you. The little Albert, however, um, is not a summary and it's not an abridged version of the grand Albert. It's a totally separate text. So sometimes when people hear like big Albert, little Albert, (laughs) this is such a weird thing to say. Um, they think like, Oh, the, the little one is just like the cliff notes version or the spark notes version. Um, but they're two totally different things, kind of like the old Testament and the new Testament. Um, the reaction of the Catholic Church was extremely negative um, when this was published. Um, the church held that the combination of the two Alberts was itself a form of black magic. So one was bad on its own, but if you had two of them, um, that was like, you're, you're already down that slippery slope to uh, devil worship. Um, <clears throat> legends about the Albert flourished It was said that the devil tries to take back his books and that destroying an Albert was too dangerous for an individual to accomplish safely. Uh, With goals and safety, with the goals of safety and salvation in mind, the presence of an Albert should be confined uh, only to a priest. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just, it's like of all names, it just... Kind of weak. The I know. Well, if you Albert. said it, I know Albert sounds so dumb. But Albert, 
Albert Legrand. That sounds a lot nicer. Sounds a lot like, nicer. My, it's just I, a I just, lesson in how ugly English is. Right, right, true. I just keep thinking of my dad's uncle, Albert, and it's not matching up. I know. When I said uh, Big Albert, Little Albert, I almost said Fat Albert after that cartoon. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Which is no longer funny. Yeah. So many childhood things ruined. Yeah. Um, I was about to say, like, I think Tom Hanks is the only only actor of his generation that people are still like, yeah, okay. I know. He, he might not have done anything wrong. Um, <sighs> right. right. Um, the Petit Albert was a, um, it was just like this huge publishing phenomenon. So to give you, to give you a tip, uh, in one year, it sold four hundred thousand dollars in uh, in the Belgians Ardennes alone. That's oh, like shit. Yeah. So wait, this basically means that everyone had one. And here's the here's the crazy thing: everyone pretended to be like super indignant that this book was around, and they all pretended like they didn't have one. But in order to get these numbers, it's like everyone bought one and then hit it. That's crazy Uh so like okay what year is this um the the book came out uh this came out in the late 1600s early 1700s that's nuts that's basically like like hiding the national enquirer in your bathroom yeah this is it's kind of like when everyone's sort of like someone talks about porn in our day and age and everyone shakes their head and they're like we have no idea and then like literally everybody who works at the uh at the Apple store is like, cool. First thing you need to do is take all your porn off your phone. And they're like, what? How dare you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so this is a case of everyone's doing it, but no one is fessing up admitting it or, or they're like, um, the public face of this is, is the same. It's that same judgment of like, Oh no, I don't, I don't do this thing. Right. Um, but then you'll have those people that are um, noble people or, you know, somehow involved in the church who will be like, well, I have it because I needed it to oh, yeah. research oh, and I needed to know like what people were being told and reading yep. so I can combat it. Yep. Um, the profile, this goes to your exact comment, the profile of the reader was not that of a sorcerer, but of, of a man of the world. Um so most of the people who bought this book were uh, peasants. They were mostly farmers and they were mostly deeply Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also the, what makes the success of this book even more remarkable is it was written by a man of letters. And so like it kind of was of no use to peasants. <laughs> so here's just a few things that I thought, I thought this was kind of funny. Um, the formulas were not practical. So if you're like a normal, like, you know, stacking up your hay in your farm, um, you're not going to have a lot of this stuff, but, but they just, they love, they love this book. Um, many of the cooking recipes, um, use different compositions of spicy wine. And so they required really expensive ingredients. So like most people, uh, would not be able to identify, uh, what those were, or they would be absent from their French villages. Um, 
the audience occupied the whole social spectrum. Um, uh, there was a um, like a a spell called the Hand of Glory, and that became very popular um, among burglars. That was like their <laughs> their thing they really liked. Then. I feel like the Hand of Glory is something that pops up in pop culture occasionally. Is like, oh, I thought you were going to say the Hand of Glory is often in your sex talk. Well, I, it's also a spot, I think, at Steamworks at the bathroom. <laughs> um, yep, I think that's right. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but it, I, I feel like it it pops up occasionally in like the stuff that I watch, like they're seeking the hand of glory to like, like some mystical thing or it's a spell that they have to perform. So I feel like that's um, maybe that's just my universe, but they also call Um, that hand, that plaster spot in the Congress hotel, the hand of glory, where the story is that like a man was um, who was one of the workers on the hotel uh, somehow got plastered into the wall and like, oh. his hand was sticking out. Oh. And so they call it the hand of glory. Really, it's just like a flaw in the wall, but. Yeah. Um, there was some other, uh, let's see. Um, there were soap recipes um, and uh, there's a recipe for uh, eau de toilette, which is basically like, uh, you know. Perfume. Water of the toilet, yeah, <laughs> toilet water, um, but perfume, um, which had very expensive ingredients from around the world. And so peasants are reading this book where, like, to make eau de toilette the way that it's described in the book, you'd have to, like, uh, get spices from the Middle East. Probably only, like, the ladies of the court could ever afford any of this. Um, copies of Le Petit, Le Petit Albert have been located among the 19th century French peasantry. This includes the hoodoo practitioners of New Orleans and the Obia men of the French West Indies. So this book was so popular, it made its way, uh, <clears throat> it's, it made its way through slave migration uh, to the uh, uh, Caribbean and to the big slave port of New Orleans. And so very popular there. Um, it became such a popular book that, uh, the lexicon of the day, uh, so to say that one had a petit Albert was shorthand for saying one was deep into magic. Cool. Yeah. So be like, you got a petit? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, of course I do. I got a hand of glory. I dare you to say any of those things to anyone these days. Oh. Do, do they have a petite? Yeah, no, I don't. Or, that's do, you, not or well. do you have a hand of glory? Yeah. <laughs> Which one of those is going to get you, like, laid? Oh, God. <laughs> You're going to say fired. No, um, I was like, which one of those is going to, like, help you to score at the bar? <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, like, one last little thing about this. Um, just because I thought this was so interesting, it kind of went down a rabbit hole. Um, I was looking for, uh, I just typed in Marie Laveau and Petit Albert because of this last thing about how it was really popular in New Orleans. And um, 
okay, so this whole thing happened. So there's a book on sale on Amazon called The Spell Book of Marie Laveau, The Petit Albert. Its listed price is $925.89. What? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, let me read to you what the the thing says. And then I'm going to read you one of the reviews. Because nine hundred twenty-five bucks is a lot to spend is on it a, a book. First edition? What is it? A first edition? Is it authentic? Is it? Uh, it, it doesn't look like anything much, okay. to be honest with you. I have no idea why it's that much. Um, <clears throat> so this is this is the description of uh, what Amazon has on the website. From its first printing, the book of fantastical secrets of the Petit Albert made its way into the most rural of French hamlets and eventually to the colonies beyond, where it became a great success in the Caribbean and North America, especially in Quebec in the north and New Orleans in the south. Note, that's where people spoke French. Um, It is there that the Petit Albert was almost certainly used by the hoodoo and voodoo practitioners of the 19th century, including voodoo queen herself, Marie Laveau. The spellbook of Marie Laveau, the Petit Albert, translator Talia Felix, presents the full text of the Petit Albert in the English language and offers a compelling argument that the Petit Albert was most likely one of the spellbooks in Laveau's arsenal, if indeed she was literate at all. (laughs) What? At the very least, as Ms. Felix states in her introduction to the book, quote, it presents a period-correct view of the sort of magical knowledge that was likely to have influenced the real and genuine life and works of the famous Marie Laveau and of New Orleans voodoo as a whole. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's what's happening there. But and like I said, there's only two reviews. I, of course, am only interested in negative reviews. So one of the reviewers gave it two stars. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're telling me that someone paid $925 for this book? Yeah. Okay. And 89 cents. And 89 cents. Yeah. American? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. All right. (laughs) Okay. So I did not include her names, but I'm going to say this one in a fairly negative way. So this is the review. This is not a spell book of Marie Laveau. It is a book of what would have been available to her at the time or would have been most likely in use. Interesting, but not worth the price. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Thin, they're describing the book. Thin. And it seems to me Miss Laveau would have learned much more from what was taught to her handed down from the older folks, especially in her time. And she's finished. Thank you. Yeah, and she's absolutely right. By the way, there's no reason to call this the spell book of Marie Laveau, the Petit Albert. It really has nothing to do with her. So that whatever, whoever was selling this book was trying to cash in on the name. Um, totally. Can you imagine buying a book for $925? Right. That's why I have a hard time with that person because why would you, unless it's not like, it's not a collector's item. It's not worth anything. No. You just spent like, that's why I asked if it was like a first edition or like what, you know is it the original binding like does it have all those things nothing nada well like and just yeah just to put their names together like that like no she didn't write the petit albert we know that albertus magnus wrote the petit albert but we know that he's a french guy from the 1600s and that the original 
uh, the Big Albert <laughs> was written by somebody in the uh, somebody German in the 1200s. So, you know, if I bought this book, I would have a lot of really boring things to put on my Amazon review. I think you should just write one anyway. Just write one anyway. Just be like, just hey, like a proactive one. Like, here's why I'm not buying this. Yeah, here's why I'm not buying this book. Um, because nine hundred twenty-five dollars is a lot of money. That's um, insane. I also love that she wrote thin as a disc. <laughs> like, it, it's not like it's like for every page you should you you should spend a dollar a page or some shit like that. <laughs> no, I mean she's like probably spent like eight dollars a page. <laughs> it's pretty thin. Maybe a hundred dollars a page. Maybe it was nine pages long. Right. <laughs> and then she was like, "What? Where am I gonna get? Where am I gonna get all this shit for eau de toilette?" It's just a picture book with a bunch of diagrams and things in French. <laughs> I want my hand of glory. <laughs> um. So I'm gonna wrap up here because there is a ghost. Yes. Yeah. Um, Albert Legrand is a ghost in Paris. Our guy. Okay. Yeah. He um, lives by the Notre Dame Cathedral. Um, he actually lives on his street that was named after him. Okay. On the uh, uh, Rue Maitre Albert, um, which is in the shadow of Notre Dame. Um, people say that they encounter him um in full occultist dress um if they're paying attention you'll be able to see uh the specter of um albert legrand now Wait, i do you know you what do you know what full occultist dress <laughs> i was about to like confess to that so that really stands out to me full occultist dress and I looked, um, obviously there was no photography uh, in the 1600s and not a lot of like contemporaneous, uh, you know, like I, I didn't, I didn't come across a treasure trove of portraits that can be trusted. So <laughs> I would imagine it's just, it's just shit that looks stupid. It's just, it's like Merlin stuff in Paris. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is all on it. Yeah, it's like a goofy cone hat with like stars. Um, anyway, so that's the story of uh, Albert Legrand and the uh, basically the um, the big Albert and the small Albert that um, <clears throat> have influenced our um, magician, sorcerers, alchemists for the last. Um, I don't know, 800 years or so. Uh, yeah, if you find if you find yourself an Aleister Crowley or an Anton LaVey or a Marie Laveau, chances are there is some connection to um, there's some connection to one or both of these books. Nice, I love it. Yeah. Um, anything you want to say, or should we wrap up? Um. I want to say thank you for that. I had no idea. I had heard of Albert Magnus before, but I, I didn't really know the history. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, that's really fascinating to me, um, especially for, um, it, it's always interesting to me to hear how people are influenced. So it's almost like who influenced the, the big Albert. 
Um, <laughs> right. Uh, or, you know, were these original thoughts. So, um, but yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. I like it where you're going. Like, I like the idea of who influenced the influencers. Yeah. Because um, I, I feel like my knowledge at a certain point stops with somebody who I think is like the grand poobah. And I'm like giving them so much credit for doing this stuff. And then it's like, oh, wait, they got all that stuff from uh, this dude. And that dude probably got it from this dude. So a lot of past, a lot of information passed down through uh, our history. And it's kind of cool to see who was doing what, when, and why. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's always interesting just to see, like, to relate in a certain way and just see, like, how history really does, like, you know, hu- human behavior uh, really never changes in a way. No, it's so interesting. I, actually, as I was researching this, so much of the so much of the pushback from the Catholic Church reminded me so much of the satanic panic and like, you know, everyone being like, well, metal does this. And even like the um, Metallica into the Marilyn Manson, all these people believing that they're all being unduly in- influenced and yet they're all secretly doing it. It's fascinating. So we, we have a definite, we, I mean, we, we know how to, we know how to build a shame culture and we know how to let people hide in plain, in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the best things about humans. Mm-hmm. We're tricky. <laughs> Just like the movie. Just like that movie. No, that was trick. Uh, trick. It's on Hulu. Um, it's fun. It's fun. Check Sweet. it out. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time that we have for high spirits. We really appreciate you listening to our show. Um, I am drinking Coors Light, which is a really delicious uh, watery beer in a can from the fine mountains of Colorado. So thank you so much, Coors. And I am drinking uh, Jigsaw Pinot Noir from Williamette Valley in California, Oregon. Oregon, I am so sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, Jigsaw, piecing some grapes together. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been High Spirits, and Noel has one last terrible thing to say to you. Sweet dreams. <laughs>